0: 2nd Peter chapter 2. Are you guys aware of what day it is? Uh, 9-11? And of course we want to... You know, remember those who gave their lives on that day, whose lives were taken on that day. Um, But as I was... As I was writing the sermon, and i, I, I was think—I looked at the calendar and realized it was going to be on 9/11, and and so this is a rather obvious question, but you know, what is this—the—the the events of 9/11? We all know what happened, and we all probably, if we're old enough anyway, we remember where we were when it happened. But what—what what does this day remind us of? And I'm not—I'm not. I'm not asking for an answer, but it'll be obvious when I say it, it reminds us of the reality of terrorism, does it not? Terrorists, Uh, probably more so than any event ever, Uh, probably before that we we thought of what happened in Oklahoma City in 1995, but when we think of 9-11, that's what we immediately think of as terrorism, and the results of it, and how deadly it is, and how scary it is, and it is a reality. Unfortunately, in this world, when we think about terrorists, uh, you know, we think about how sneaky they are, they try to blend in, they're sly, they're, they're secretive, and then they bring catastrophic destruction, like, like 9-11. Um, it just happened to be today that I preached this message, but you know what's more dangerous even than terrorists? probably know what I'm going to say false teachers they, they would be what what we would call spiritual terrorists and you know to the eyes of the world maybe a false teacher is not more dangerous than a terrorist because we see we we see the physical results of what happens with terrorism but these false teachers that's what they are they're spiritual terrorists they're sly they're sneaky and they bring destruction yes they can bring destruction to a they, they can shipwreck even a, a believer, their faith, but they lead people to hell. That's what false teachers do. That's why, that's why, in the end, in God's eyes, they're even much worse than what we call terrorists. They're spiritual terrorists, and they lead people to destruction. Nothing's more serious and more blasphemous in God's eyes than false teachers. Uh, because false teachers come and they say they're speaking for God. When in reality they're not. And God has a lot to say about false prophets in the Old Testament, false teachers in the New. We'll, we'll look at a couple scriptures here in just a few moments. But just to see the seriousness of God, of what God thinks about false teachers, you can look in our uh, our text today is going to go, in chapter 2 is going to go through verses 1 through the first part of 3, or 3a. Three but look at 3b, which we'll look at, we'll pick up next week. And uh, oh yeah here it is and, and their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep and then in verse 17 in the same chapter we can see at the second half of that verse again this whole chapter is speaking about these false teachers for whom the black darkness has been reserved so we get a little bit of glimpse of what God thinks about these false teachers what he has reserved for them also in Jude 4, you don't need to turn there. But Jude 4 says something similar. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. So God will deal with false teachers. They're not going to get away with their, uh, with their deceiving. Bouncing off where we were last week, guys, or really the last two weeks, for those of you who have been here or maybe listened to the message, the last two weeks in summation... In verses 16 through 18, in chapter 1, uh, you remember when Peter talked about that he was an eyewitness account of the the glory of Jesus Christ, speaking about the transfiguration? In other words, that was a reference to the New Testament apostles. Last week, Peter referenced the prophetic word made by the Old Testament prophets. And, And so what did we see, really, if you want to... Combine those two messages, it's that the uh, that the Scriptures themselves should be trusted, whether spoken of by an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament apostle, because its origin in verse 21 is from God Himself. So we should trust what the New Testament apostles and the Old Testament prophets have given us in His Word. We have a more sure word. A more sure word even than Peter's personal experience on the matter of Transfiguration. We have the Scriptures. And it's from God, so we can trust it. That would really be the application from last week, right? We have the Word of God. We have the Word of God here. God has given it to us as a gift, and and we can trust it because it comes from God. What we're going to see today in the the first part of verse 1, he's going to reference the Old Testament false prophets and the New Testament false prophets. Teachers. So we're gonna see in just a minute, we're gonna see that contrast. Very first word. In chapter one, he talked about the apostles and prophets. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, but and we'll look at that here in just a minute, we're gonna see that contrast. But just by way of reminder, guys, really to go along with the, one of our songs we, we had just sung, to be reminded of where these false where all false teaching comes from. John eight forty-four, Jesus told the Jews speaking of the devil speaking of satan he says when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies okay we need to be reminded of that and then paul speaking in second corinthians speaking about some false apostles in second corinthians 11:13 and 14 he says such men are false apostles deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of christ and he says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We just need to be reminded of this even before we dig into this text that these that Satan is the source. He is the source of these things. We can trust what God has, God has said in the Scriptures. We can trust the apostles and the prophets because it comes from God in the same way that the source of these things um, False teachings, the source of these false... What these false teachers... is The source is Satan himself, because he's a liar and the father of lies. So on the back of your outline, guys, if you guys have your outline, um, I was putting... I just want to explain this word of a top, proposition, really what it means. For a while I would put this at the top, really just trying to summarize the message. If I could summarize the sermon in one sentence... You can call it a theme. I like proposition better. It's more like a declaration for you to consider, okay? Meaning, if there's something that I want you to take away from this sermon, it can be summed up in this. False teachers, they are immoral, and they use false words to get rich, okay? And so hopefully, this statement here, this, this declaration, this proposition for you to consider... The the outline as well as the body of the sermon should further just clarify that statement. Because you're never going to remember everything in a sermon. So there's sometimes I put this at the top just to, uh, that's what I'd want you to remember from today. The reality of false teachers and they are immoral and they use false words to get rich, okay? That's what the scriptures teach us all throughout and we'll see that today. We'll be reminded of that. And so let's look at this. We're going to go through verses 1 through the first part of verse 3 today. Three points today. First of all, we're going to look at the reality of false teachers. Let me read, let me read the text, uh, verses 1 through 3a. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be malign. and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Alright, so let's look at this. The first thing we're going to see is just the reality of false teachers. We're going to see this in the first part of verse 1. The reality of false teachers. So we see the contrast. After what Peter had told us at the end of chapter one, you can trust the scriptures, right? You can trust the scriptures. He even attributed Paul's writings to scriptures in in chapter three. You can trust the, the prophetic word of the Old Testament because they come from God. It never came from man. Its origin is from God. And in his very next word says, but but false teachers or false prophets also arose among the people. God's messengers bring truth, and Satan and his messengers bring lies. That's what Peter's saying. False prophets. False prophets in the sense that both their message and their claim to be prophets is false. We'll look at just a couple examples real quickly in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 14.14. You can just jot these down if you want. The prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision. Divination, futility, and deception of their own minds. Remember what Peter said about fables Uh, a few weeks back in in, um, verse 16? These fables that men, they just make it up as they go. That's what these false prophets did here in, in Jeremiah. So they don't speak with divine authority. A, a, a few characteristics of these false prophets, they don't speak with divine authority, authority. They make up stories. They also speak a message of false peace. That's always usually a characteristic of a false prophet or a false teacher, false peace, Ezekiel 13:10. It is definitely because they have made or, or they have misled my people saying peace. When there is no peace. That's, that's a characteristic of a false prophet, a false teacher, right? Don't worry about judgment. It's okay. It's peace. Peace. But they don't speak of sin. They don't speak of judgment. I think a very, very easy example of that, and obviously any example that I give, maybe a visible name, there's always going to be false teachers on a, on a, on a lower scale um, out there, but, but one that would come to mind real quickly would be somebody like Joel Osteen that would fit this, right? It's just peace. Don't worry about sin. Don't worry about judgment. You know, I've seen the man, there's a clip several years ago where, where he had a chance as a supposed messenger of Jesus Christ sitting in front of Larry King. And I think Larry Kingdom asked him about Muslims. You know, if, if Muslims go to heaven. You know, obviously, not, not if a Muslim can repent and trust in Christ. And, and, and he just waffled around and said, who am I to say? And these type of things. Basically, what he's saying is, you know, in the end, don't worry about judgment. In the end, God's not going to judge. We're all just kind of got to get there. We're all God's children. What's he saying? Peace. He's telling people there's peace when there is no peace. That's a lie, folks. Telling somebody, telling anybody who is under the judgment of God, who is under the wrath of God, who have not come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that you don't have to worry about it in the end. God will just let you slide and let you in. That is no different than these false prophets. Peace, peace when there is no peace. There is not peace for you if you are not in Christ. There's, there's judgment coming. So that's a characteristic of these false prophets. And then thirdly, they were condemned. Just, we're just talking about the false prophets. Listen to Jeremiah 14.15. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in My name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they kept saying, this is what they kept telling the people, there will be no sword or famine in this land. But then it says, by sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. So the very thing that they're denying, right? They're telling the nation of Israel, don't worry about judgment. Judgment's not coming. Don't listen to Jeremiah and others that you're going to be judged for your idolatry. Don't worry about it. And then it says, the very judgment that they're denied is going to come down on their heads. And it's the same thing with all false teachers. They deny God's judgment, and it's that very judgment they deny that as we're going to see, God has reserved for them. And has reserved for all of those who are not in Christ. All of those who mockingly mock the judgment of God are going to fall under that very judgment. And it's a very scary thing, and it's a sad reality. But the New Testament warns of false teachers. He says, false prophets are also among... Uh, false, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be also false teachers among you. Jesus spoke about it. Matthew 24, 11. False teachers among you. We're just looking at it again, right? It's a reality. We need to be reminded. It's a reality. Many false prophets, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. It says they won't, they won't endure sound doctrine. You guys know that. Uh, the, people, the, the people don't want to endure sound doctrine, so they follow after these false teachers. They don't want to endure sound doctrine like what? Like God's holiness. Right? That's sound doctrine. That's what we're saying. God is holy, holy, holy. People don't want to hear that. People who are in the flesh, in their sin... They want to follow after these false teachers who will tickle their ears. They don't want to hear about God's holiness. They don't want to hear about God's justice. They don't want to hear about the reality that God is a judge. There's many people that are okay hearing about Jesus. Okay? Oh, they can hear about Jesus. They can even hear about His love. They can hear about Him dying on a cross. They can can talk about God. But the moment that you bring in the justice of God, that God is a judge who's going to judge sin, that's when you see people not want to hear those things. Sound doctrine. And they follow after false teachers and they attract gigantic crowds. They don't want to hear about judgment. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about repentance. These are just, these are sound, this is what sound doctrine is. That man is a sinner. That God is holy. That God is going to punish sin. That God is sovereign. But men don't want to hear this. The, the crowds would follow Jesus Christ, would they not? It says he would have massive crowds, even referring to him as his disciples. That's why you got to be careful when you even see the word disciple, because it would say a little bit later as Jesus would start preaching and teaching that these supposed disciples—they'd be gone. They liked the bread. They liked the miracles. Right? But they didn't like the hard teaching. I would say this, beloved. They don't don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about repentance. They don't want to hear about a call to holiness. That's what God calls His people to is to live a holy life. They don't want to hear things. Angela, like you and I were discussing yesterday, Lordship. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear... Because this is authority. This is submitting to somebody else's authority the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear those things. They want things to tickle their itching ears. What they want to hear is more along the lines of self-esteem, right? Self-esteem, be the best you when Jesus says, "Hate yourself and follow me. That's where you're going to find eternal life." Felt needs. That's characteristic of of those who who don't don't want to endure sound doctrine, but they want to have their ears tickled. 2 Peter, in in the context, 2 Peter, these false teachers that Peter's referring to, we're going to see that they reject a godly life. They reject a godly life. We're going to see how, in different passages, really just how ungodly they are in their sensuality in their sexual immorality, in their greed. And one thing we do know about them, guys, we don't know a, ho- a whole lot about what they taught, but they seem to deny the second coming. In chapter 3, they deny the second coming of Christ. Really, that, isn't that convenient? If you want to live an ungodly life, I don't worry about the judgment coming. And they mock it. They mock it. <clears throat> But people, they don't want to endure sound doctrine, guys. Listen to what 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says. You remember when John says, do not love the world or the things in the world? He said, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, but from the world. That's what false teachers offer. The things that appeal to the flesh. That's why they have big crowds following after them. But God says, don't love those things. We're to deny ourselves and follow after Jesus Christ, but that's why—that's why you can you can turn on the TV still and see some of these guys, and they got stadium fulls of, full of people, because they're just offering them what their sinful flesh wants. Well, what what unregenerate sinner would not want that? And then and then to be told that yeah, you're following after God. Wow, that seems like a good deal, but it doesn't end well. So our our first. Uh, the first heading we see, the first main point, is the reality of false teachers. And what we're going to look at two things under that, still in verse 1. We're going to see their sneaky, destructive doctrines. Their sneaky, destructive doctrines in verse 1. It says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Their sneaky, destructive doctrines. Beloved, they are never honest, false teachers. Now, that doesn't mean everything they say is lie. They're never completely honest. They're deceivers. That's what it means. They're deceivers. Many times they pose as pastors, they pose as teachers, they pose as evangelists. But it says they secretly introduce destructive heresies. Just means they're crafty, right? Think of the terrorists. They're crafty, they're under a disguise. And it says they, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. That, that word, that phrase, introduce, it means to bring alongside. To bring alongside what? To bring alongside true teaching. Other doctrines that are true, in other words. In other words, everything they say is not going to be false. They're, they're sneaky, they're, they're, they're tricky. Do you guys know who Costi Hen is? Hey, you know who Benny Hinn is? Benny Hinn, old Word of Faith teacher, health and wealth teacher. Um, but his nephew Costi Hinn used to uh, used to go to his um, a lot of his big crusades and all. Well, anyway, God ended up saving Costi Hinn, and now he's a. I mean, he's a sound. Sal- he's a pastor now. Uh, he, he's a reformed brother, just solid brother. And so I've heard him say, and as a matter of fact, I've heard others say this as well, that even, and, and Benny Hinn, his uncle, he's out there. I mean, he is the guy that breathes on people and they fall back. But um, even Benny Hinn, though, I've heard people comment, even as, as, as blasphemous as his teaching is, there are times he can preach enough gospel for people to be converted. He can. I've heard him and I've heard Costi talk about that. He said, yeah, I mean, there's times I've heard him give a better gospel presentation than people who ought to know better. But there's just enough truth there to be very, very, very dangerous. But that's what this word means. To bring alongside true teaching. They bring in their heresies gradually, little by little, and then they lie in wait to deceive under the appearance of, of truth. Now I would say with somebody like Benny Hinn, it doesn't take a whole lot of discernment to listen to him very long to know that he is a deceiver. But these heresies, says destructive heresies, the word heresies, it just has the idea of an error of opinion uh, respecting some fundamental doctrine of religion which leads to a division and a formation of sex. I know that was a lot. Really the word the word could mean just sects or divisions, but it has the idea also of something, an an error in it. There's an error in it. And it says destructive heresies. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's really easy to define. These heresies are destructive because they lead to hell. They damn. These are destructive. Meaning like eternal destruction. Eschatological destruction. Not just destroying somebody's life here in this world. They bring eternal consequences with it. We're talking like another Gospel. Okay? And again, we don't know exactly what the destructive heresies are. But when you think of like... I think, for example, like... Paul in Galatians 1, if you guys remember, the whole battle against the uh, Judaizers. And he said in Galatians 1.9, if any man preaches a Gospel contrary to the true one, which he preached, right? Justification by grace through faith alone, let him be accursed. It's the same idea. Eternal destruction. If any man... And if you guys remember, not to get off track here, but we are talking about false teachers. In Paul's case in Galatians, it was clearly defined what the false teaching was. The teaching of the Judaizers. They said, yeah, believe in Jesus... Believe that He came, that He died, that He rose again, but you must keep the most certain parts of the Mosaic Law. Circumcision. And so that would, be, that would be as comparable to Roman Catholicism in our day. Okay, We cannot team up with Roman Catholics. Their doctrine is false. The closest comparison we have is Galatians. And Paul said that gospel and those who preach it, it leads to eternal damnation. And it'd be the same thing with Roman Catholic doctrine. It leads to eternal damnation. It's a different gospel. So it's a different gospel. We draw the line in the sand right there. So anybody that would propagate a Roman Catholic uh, gospel is a false teacher. So that's a very clear one. So but that's what this they they secretly bring in these destructive heresies and they lead to eternal damnation. Secondly, in verse in verse one, we see subpoint B is their destructive denial their destructive denial it says they will secretly bring or secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves now this phrase here has probably confused a lot of people somebody could take this verse and run with it and say see you can lose your salvation you can deny the one who bought you and lose your salvation well that's not what's going on here so let's look at it Again, we interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? With the rest of the Bible. But the word even, that, that word even is emphatic. That, that, it, it's like even. They even deny the Master who bought them. It's really helpful to understand what the word denying means. And it means to refuse. To refuse to be unwilling or to firmly say, no, that's what that word denying means in its present tense. So it's a habitual pattern of refusal. They're refusing something, they're refusing someone. They're, they're unwilling, they're, they're, they're firmly saying no to someone. And who is it? The master who bought them, the master. Some commentators said, Oh, it's God. Some said, It's Jesus. It's <laughs> Christ is God. But I think it's specifically referring to Christ. He is the one who the Bible says through His death on the cross, right, has redeemed us. He has bought us. He has purchased us. What this is saying, beloved? Very, very simple. What are they denying specifically? What are they refusing? The Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what they're refusing. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. What do we have here? They have claimed Jesus as their Redeemer as the one who purchased them sometime at one point, right? But by continually refusing His Lordship, denying His Lordship, in other words, their lives speak louder than their profession. These are men who profess faith in Christ at one time. And now, by their life, they are denying Him. They are are refusing. They've never submitted to His Lordship. That's all this is saying. Paul says this clearly in Titus chapter 1, verse 16. A verse I quote many times uh, while I'm preaching outdoors because it's so applicable in our culture. And, And by the way, Paul is talking about false teachers as well in Titus. It says, they profess to know God. That's what they say with their mouth. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny Him. Being detestable and disobedient. So they profess one thing with their mouth, but by their very life, they deny Him. They refuse Him. You're not going to have lordship over me. So they deny Him by their lives. This is true for many people, beloved. This is true for, for, for many, many people in our day. And before I say anything further though, but about these false teachers, one thing we, we, also, they, we also know about them Another way that they deny His Lordship is by denying His second coming. I mean, that's when Christ is coming back in power and glory and he, it's going to be the uh, scariest event ever on the face of this earth for those who are not ready. They deny that. They deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But this is true for many, is it not? Especially where we live. People claiming one thing with their mouth but denying Christ with their very life. Refusing to submit to his lordship? Claiming those who who preach lordship are preaching works? Not preaching works. We're preaching that Christ is Lord and He's commanded us to bow. That's all it is. Listen to first John chapter, chapter two verses four through six. Because this is true for so many in our day. So many in our culture claim to know Jesus. They claim to know him. First John chapter two verse four through six, John says he's see he's addressing this very issue in this letter for people who profess faith in Christ. He, this whole letter is examine yourself, examine yourself, test after test after test. First John chapter two four through six, the one who says I have come to know him, right? That's what they say, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word. In Him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. Now you guys obviously know what I'm saying. Or and what I'm not saying. Or what the scripture's saying. What it's not saying. It's not talking about perfection. But it is indeed talking about a change of direction. When somebody truly comes to know Christ their life begins to change. So that's all that John is saying. And that's what Peter is saying. These people have denied. They denied the very one who they claim bought them. And so what would we call these men? Apostates.
1: And so just as a way
0: of reminder, uh, for those of you who may, may have forgotten or, or may not know what that word apostate means, it just means to fall away. It's to fall away. apostasize. Apostatize. These men would be an example of what an apostate is. Uh, You can look at verses 20 and 21 in chapter 2 of Peter, and we can get get a little bit more insight about these men. Verses 20 and 21 that we'll look at here in a few weeks. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. This is just speaking about falling away. Those who profess at one time to know Christ and fall away, never to come back again. We don't know, ultimately, who are apostate and who are not. God does. But for somebody somebody who professes faith in Christ, okay? and then they, they live their life as an unbeliever basically, the rest of their life, and they die, you'll hear people say, well, I know they were saved back then. They must have lost it. No, they, that means if they lived their life and fell away and never came back, they were what the Bible calls an apostate. And that's a scary thing, beloved. To be an apostate is a scary thing. To be an apostate, is, that's when God gives a person over. He's done with them. It's a very scary thing for people sitting in church making professions of faith in Christ. Um, The the reality of apostatizing. But listen to this promise of the New Covenant, guys. I'm going to try to connect all this. Listen to this promise of the New Covenant in Jeremiah 32.40. Jesus Jesus brought in the New Covenant by His blood, right? That's what He tells us. But listen to this promise of the New Covenant in Jeremiah 32.40. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. You hear that? Question. Who? And I don't, I don't expect an answer. Who's in the new covenant? Everybody who is born again. Members of the New Covenant are the children of God, those who have been born again, the regenerate. Unbelievers are not in the New Covenant. What this is saying is everybody who I've made this covenant with, those who come to Christ and are truly saved, He said, I will not turn away from them and I will put the fear of Me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from Me. They're going to endure to the end. So all of those in the New Covenant are saved believers. Okay? And so, as the Presbyterian, our Presbyterian friends would say, no, it's believers and their children. No, it's not. It's all of those who believe. Jeremiah talks about that in another place, and so does Hebrews. It says, all of those in the new covenant know me. Regeneration is how we come into the new covenant. And it says, they will endure to the very end. And then, in, and in 1 John. Clarifies it again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 of what we're talking about. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. Right? Somebody abandons the faith. They were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are really not of us. Apostates. Don't apply that. Don't ever apply that verse to our church. Well, they went out from us. <laughs> now, this is talking about the faith. They left the faith. They left the faith because they were never really of it. Do you guys? Any of you all know who? Uh, you know, because speaking about these, speaking about these 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 false teachers and their simply what, what we're going to look at their their destructive denial. Um. and and how they a, 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 character, a characterization of false teachers what we talked about a while ago is one of the things they deny you know they deny the lordship of Jesus Christ and they many false teachers including these they deny the second coming of Christ which really which really includes judgment right uh, eternal judgment final judgment did you know that's that characterizes many false teachers even in our day do you guys know who the name Charles Russell is? Does he ring a bell, any of y'all? Charles Russell, guys, he's the founder of the Jehovah's Witness. And just for an example, just, just an example of false teachers denying this doctrine of final judgment. That's why he left his church as a teenager. Because he rejected the reality of the teaching of the doctrine of hell. And so he wanted to go start something else. And that's, what, that's how that movement got started. It made me think of Rob Bell, the leader of the emergent church several years ago, denies the reality of hell. That's what false teachers do. They deny these these doctrines of judgment. How convenient, right? You can live however you want to live and and you can have the religious tag with it because in the end, it's going to be okay. In the end, there's not really a hell And everybody's going to get in. There may just be some different levels of heaven, you know. But in the end, there's nothing to fear. Beloved, these are doctrines of demons, these are destructive heresies. If somebody comes along to you or comes along and says, hey, there's no hell, false teacher, why don't they deny heaven then? They don't deny heaven, but they deny hell when Jesus spoke more about hell than He did heaven. Because they want their cake and eat it too. We want, to, we want to have a religious tag, but we want to enjoy our sin along the way. Again, they, they, they can't endure sound doctrine. Don't preach that repentance stuff. Don't preach that judgment. And so they simply, by their profession, these men <sighs> claim to have been bought or redeemed by Christ. Really, back to our, back to our text here. Um, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves they simply claim to have been bought they 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 had a profession of faith but what does the scripture say as far as who Jesus Christ truly has bought those who Jesus has truly bought he says are his sheep his sheep his sheep those who are in the new covenant those who endure to the end those are whom he bought listen to a couple passages in John, John chapter 10. John ten eleven, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For his sheep. That's who he laid down his life for. John ten twenty seven twenty eight. 28. My sheep. This is one of my favorite verses. Because this, this gives us a description. Who are God's sheep? My sheep know my voice. And I know them and they follow me. How do you know you're one of God's sheep? Because you follow Him. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. You hear the New Covenant language in that? Those whom I die for, I give them eternal life and they're not going to perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. They're going to endure to the end. They're not going to deny me. They're not going to walk away. These are those whom I have truly purchased by my blood. These false teachers in chapter 2 have demonstrated that they are not His sheep. They are not His sheep. Those whom Jesus Christ died for will never perish. Never perish. John 6, 37 39. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me. All that the Father gives me. This is part of that. That that language of before the foundation of the world that the Father gave Christ. Speaking of God's elect, His people, His sheep. All that the Father gives me will come to me and I will raise them up on the last day. So I'm trying to connect all this. Those who truly come are those who Christ purchased. His, 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 His death upon the cross purchased purchase their salvation, they're going to come to Him and He's going to raise them up on the last day. They're not going to deny Him and walk away. It's all New Covenant language. They will never perish. Why? Because their sin debt was paid in full on the cross. We're really getting into to who, the, the, who the atonement was for. And, it, and it's very offensive to people. But folks, those whom Jesus Christ died for He paid for their sins in full. Okay? Jesus didn't pay someone's sin debt in full, only then for that person to to pay for their sin debt in hell. That's why I always tell people all sin is going to be paid for. For those who believe and repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ, our sins were paid for by Christ on the cross, He was our propitiation. The wrath of God was satisfied in full for those whom He died for. And we and and, and and that's why you bring John 10 into it. And we know we can identify who His sheep are. Those are the ones who come to Him. Those are the ones who come in faith and follow after Him. That's His sheep. And these men are demonstrating that they are not His sheep. These men are demonstrating that they are apostate. These men are demonstrating that they don't truly know Christ. Who did Jesus die for? He died for a sheep. So what's the conclusion? They're not his sheep and their sins were not paid for by Christ on the cross. They profess to know Christ but they do not truly know him. And it says they will be brought to swift bringing swift destruction upon themselves. The very judgment they they deny is going to come swiftly upon them. That means it's coming soon, it's imminent, and it is sure. It is going to happen. The very judgment that they deny will take them when they are unaware and least expected. It's the language of 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And if you guys remember when I when I preached on the second coming a few months ago, it's going to come like a thief to those who aren't ready. It's going to come like a thief to the unbeliever. But for for us, we're anticipating it. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. But for for those who are not ready, for the mockers, it's going to come like a thief. While they are saying, listen, remember what the false teacher said? Peace and safety. While they are saying, peace and safety then destruction will come them, come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. I can't identify with that illustration. I'm sure some of you can. Labor pains upon a woman. But uh, it's going to come suddenly. It's going to come swiftly. It's going to come surely. Hebrews 9.27 reminds us that it's been appointed for a man once to die and after that the judgment. So death itself will come swiftly. Death and judgment will come swiftly to those who are not ready. So we always need to be warned. We need to be warned. We need to be reminded of these truths. The denial, their denial, these false teachers, their denial of the Lordship of Jesus Christ will result in their eternal destruction. That's what he's saying. Their their denial, their refusal to submit to Christ as King and Lord, to bow the knee, that Jesus Christ will result in their eternal destruction and that is true for all people. Not just these false teachers. If you refuse to bow the knee in this life, then you will bow the knee in the next. And He will be your judge, jury, and executioner on that day. He will not be Savior. Second thing we see in verse 2 is uh, the following and the result of of the false teachers the following and the result of the false teachers and we'll be moving a little quicker now it says many will follow in, in, in chapter in verse 2 many will follow their sensuality many will follow that's very unfortunate beloved very unfortunate that that's a reality many will follow their their sensuality big crowds beloved are no indication that it's of the Lord. And to be fair, big crowds are no indication it's not of the Lord. I want to be fair. But big crowds are no indication that it's of the Lord. Listen to what John Gill says to that point. The road both of error and wickedness is a broad one. It is a broad one in which many walk and a multitude is no proof of the truth of a church. says many will follow. Many will follow their what? Many will follow their sensuality is what it says in verse 2. No doubt some will follow their teaching, but it says they're following their sensuality. That word has the idea of habitual, excessive sexual immorality. False teachers, beloved. Back up to the, 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 uh, the theme of the, of the sermon, the proposition that I made. They are immoral. False teachers are a reality and they are immoral. The Scriptures always teach of them in this way. They're immoral. Their doctrine leads to this. Listen to some in chapter 2. We can get glimpses of this. In verse 10, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls having a heart trained in greed. False teachers. Verse 18, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, same word, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. And verse 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Slaves of corruption. They promise them freedom. Send me your money. You can be free. When they're slaves of corruption. Slaves of sensuality. Slaves of sexual sin. Doesn't mean we'll always see it, but the Word of God declares it. These men are immoral because they're unregenerate. They're unregenerate. Their doctrine is what leads to this. People people love sin, do they not? The Scriptures say, people, unregenerate men and women love sin. They love sexual immorality. And man, even more if they can be religious and immoral at the same time. They can be told by a religious authority that yeah, you're following after Christ. But what they're truly following is their sensuality. This is the broad gate, beloved. This is the broad the broad gate and the broad road that Jesus speaks of. Matthew seven and thirteen and fourteen, right? Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. That's what John Gill's saying. Many enter by it, including those who are following after false teachers. They enter by the broad gate, the broad road, and it leads to destruction. Believe whatever you want to believe, right? Joel Osteen. Eh. It really doesn't matter what they believe in the end, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Catholic, just believe and, and just come in the broad road. They're not going to say that, but just, just come in. Listen to the Word, beloved. Many, many will follow their sensuality. Jesus says the broad road. Many enter through the broad road. Jesus says a few verses later, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me these things. Lord, Lord. And what's he going to say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You professed with your mouth, but you denied my lordship. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. You workers of sensuality. You workers of sexual immorality. Depart from me. I never knew you, right? Language of 1 John. Who truly knows Christ? Those who long to obey Him and follow after Him. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. You see how all this stuff comes together? What's the result of this? What's the result of many? It says many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. The result of false teachers and the crowds that follow after Him, because of these false teachers and those who follow, their sensuality. The truth will be maligned, right? The Gospel. Christianity is maligned. Christ is blasphemed because of false teachers and those who follow after Him, right? The Gospel will be slandered. Paul speaks similar language in Romans 2 because of the hypocrisy of the Jews in that context. He says the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of your hypocrisy. And because we have so many people claiming to be Christian, so many preachers and deceivers out there who run away with their secretary and all kinds of sex scandals and who get busted for for being greedy and have multi-million dollar mansions and jets, the world just laughs and mocks Christ. That's not going to be an excuse for them on the day of judgment, but nevertheless, the Scriptures say that's what happens. And beloved, this is Satan's mission. This is his mission. Right? To undermine the church from within through false teaching. To lead many astray, and then those who follow after the sensuality to bring, to bring shame to the church from outside. That's Satan's, that's, he, he's victorious in those times. He's laughing in those times. And so, what does all this speak about their doctrine? We're not told for sure exactly what it is, but I think we can deduce that it's antinomian. You've heard us talk about that? Easy believism. Anti-nomian, we don't, we, don't, we don't need God's law. We don't need to submit to God. Don't give us none of that law. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We, we have a license to sin, right? That's what's going on here. Maybe among other things. But this is a rejection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, obviously. These men don't submit to it. They deny it, and many follow after. Don't go over there where they tell you you must repent. Beloved, if somebody comes along and tells you and tries to explain the gospel and say God doesn't require repentance, that's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. Repentance is not works-based. Repentance is a gift of God, but the Bible commands all men everywhere to repent. Jesus' first two words in His public ministry recorded in Scripture was repent and believe the gospel. But many people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear about things like repentance and bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. Although it's clear in Scripture. Easy believism. Our streets are full of them. I have encountered them for 13 years. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Some of the most vile things I've heard have come out of people's mouths after them professing they're a Christian just like me between F-bombs and all kinds of other stuff. That's what, we're, that's what we're seeing here. These are the people who follow after these teachers. They have their ears tickled. You, you, you ask them to explain the gospel, being a professing Christian, and they look at you, they're blank. They don't know it. They don't understand it. And then they accuse you of preaching a false gospel and being a heretic. By, because you're asking or you're you're telling them what the Bible says about repent, believe, and follow Jesus, or you're going to perish, and you're accused of being a false teacher. That's how backwards it is. And I've heard it by the thousands, right? I repeated a prayer when I was six years old, and what you're teaching is of the devil speaking to me, preaching what God's word says. They're strangers to repentance. That's a false gospel. So the result is that many people follow after them, their sensuality and and, and Christianity, and Christ is blasphemed. And then thirdly and lastly, we see the motive of false teachers in verse 3a. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Beloved, their motive, make no mistake about it, is a love of money. Love of money, greed. I'm going to give another example. And this again, this is Benny Hinn. But this is probably the most extreme example I've ever heard. And I, and I may have told some of you guys this. I don't remember who I've told. But I saw this with my own eyes just a few years ago. He was teaching on Matthew seven twenty-one through 23 the verse I just shared a while ago. Where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, On that day, many will say to me, You know, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Benny Hinn twisted that verse in his devilish style. And he said, when, when Jesus said, Only those who do the will of the Father will enter, and he pointed at the TV with his manipulation and said, And the will of the Father is that you send your money into this ministry. Basically saying, if you don't, if you don't send your money into this ministry, you're gonna hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Now that is devilish. Now, now obviously anybody with any discernment will be able to say, "Uh uh-uh. But make no mistake. There's there's many people that fall to that stuff, and and some of them even God's people, who are not grounded at all, and they get sucked into this stuff, and and and, and God says, what's waiting on those false teachers? But I saw that. So whether it's a health and wealth gospel like that, right? Just send me your money. Or, or whether it's a watered down gospel that just attracts big crowds, right? That builds these churches by the thousands and thousands. They're raking in the money. They're raking in the money. They know that if they change what they preach, they would lose 75% of the crowd, probably in one week. But because of their false gospel that appeals to the flesh, they suck people in. And the Bible says it's because of their greed. They exploit you with false words. They're money-making machines. They have different methods of doing it. These men are trained in greed. Verse 14 says... And greed begets greed, right? They see it working. They see it working. And so they just get more emboldened in it. A few years ago, speaking of Benny Hinn, he supposedly repented of this. Uh, So did so did Todd White. Do you guys know who Todd White is, the guy down in Fort Worth with the long dreadlocks? Supposedly could make your legs longer or shorter. It's same it's the same type of nonsense. But they supposedly repented. But they didn't repent. Nothing changed in their ministry. Because it's the idea that they can't give up the greed. The money they're raking in. Greed and uncontrolled, covetous desire for money and wealth at the expense of people's soul. That's what makes these guys so wicked. It's at the expense of the people's soul. They exploit you with false words, Peter says. They desire to get rich, beloved, off the backs of the very one that they're supposedly ministering to. And they get rich off of them. That's why God has such extreme judgment language for these people. Some lie through their teeth, beloved, that if you have enough faith by sending them money, you'll be healed. Or some may lie, about stories. They'll just make up stories, right? I died and went to heaven and they'll tell you all about it. Jesse Deplanus is one that reminds me of that. He's one of the false health and wealth teachers, but he'll tell you about his stories of dying and going to heaven, but you know what, you know what they can do with those? They can write a lot of books, sell a lot of books and make a lot of money. And they exploit people. False teachers love money and they're not interested in men's souls. False teachers are not interested in men's souls, but in their possessions. They're the worst kind of terrorists. False teachers. Spiritual terrorists. They're sneaky, they're crafty, and they're leading multitudes to hell and headed there themselves. But our Lord is not unaware of their craftiness. He knows all things. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account, including the false teachers. And we're, we're going to look at that next time about the certainty of judgment that's going to come upon these individuals. And so by way of conclusion, uh, by way of conclusion, application on the bottom of your, of your outline, um, I would say this, be alert. <laughs> be alert. Be on guard. And just a few scriptures I want to share with you as a reminder of this. The first one, guys, is at the very end of this letter. In verses 17 and 18. Peter's last two verses tells us this. So, seeing what we've seen today, being reminded that false teachers are immoral and they use false words to get rich. They're sneaky. They're greedy. We need to be aware. We need to be alert. Verses 17 and 18 in chapter 3, Peter says this, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow, right? That's the language Peter's been using in this letter. Grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And then a couple other passages real quickly. What does this look like? What does it look like for me to grow? Or what does it look like for me to be for, to, to be on guard? In Acts 20, you can turn there with me real quickly. We're going to turn there and then one short passage in Ephesians and we'll be done. Acts 20. Just, just to help you out what this practically looks like. Acts 20, verses 28 through 30. This is Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders, knowing it was going to be the last time he saw him and he, or saw them and he gives them this warning. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Now he's talking to the elders here. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So he's, he's, he's warning the leaders, be on guard. Shepherd the church. Be on guard for these men. And then lastly, you can just jot this verse down. I'm going to just read Ephesians 4, verse 14. This is uh, the section when, when Paul says that, that the Lord gives pastors and teachers to the church for the equipping of the saints. And in verse 14, he says this. So this is as a result of, um, of, of, of the Lord giving pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. It says, we are no longer to be children. Now he's talking to the body here. Talking to the flock. Okay, so, so Acts twenty. 28 to 30 is directed towards me. You know, That I need to be aware. I need to be on guard. Now it's for all of us. He's given us pastors, teachers for the equipment of the saints so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness, and deceitful scheming. Do you see that, guys? God has given us the church. God has given us pastors and teachers. Not to mention you're to be responsible to grow, to, to, to grow in your own studies, to spend time in the Word of God. But also, that, that that's why God has given qualified men to teach. And, and it's, to, it's to shepherd. We see, we see one of the reasons why. Because there's men who are going to come and they're going to, Try to trick and scheme and lie and bring all kinds of stuff in. Some of them be more severe than others. But we what is it? What is all this saying, beloved? How do what have we looked at? We've looked at the, that the word of God, the last couple of weeks, the scriptures are from God and we can trust them, right? It's the truth. We are set free by the truth. And now we're looking at the reality of false teachers, and the origin is the devil himself. And he has his spiritual terrorists, so to speak, who come to deceive and to destroy. And, and so how do we combat lies? What do we see here? With the truth of the Word of God. That's what we see. Let's pray. Father, Lord, uh, we just thank You, Lord, for this, for this reminder in Your Word, God. Once again, Father, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded, God, our minds can become dull and we can be forgetful. And we can, remember, we can forget, Lord, uh, that there are, there are false teachers out there. And there always will be. There always has been. And Lord, they don't have our best interests in mind. Um, and some of these men are... Or maybe deceive themselves, not even knowing they're false teachers, Lord, and some of them know exactly what they're doing. But Father, nevertheless, Father, we have the truth, and that's the only way we can guard ourselves against lies is to know the truth. So Father, I just pray that You will help us, God, as a church. I pray that You will help me and help everyone in here, Lord, to be in tune with Your truth, God, to be people of the Word, to know Your Word, to love Your Word, to study Your Word, to memorize Your Word, to meditate upon Your Word so that we can recognize that which is false when it comes to us. Father, we love You, God. We thank You for giving us Your Word. Father, we thank You for giving us Christ, God. We thank You, Father, that He is the chief shepherd, Lord. And Lord, that these false shepherds will have to answer to Him. So Father, I just pray that You would help us as a church to always... Always follow You. Always be submissive to Your Lordship, Lord, and what You call us to do, Lord. We thank You and we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen. (laughs)